Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome back to another edition of NFL University, the show where we educate you on all things across the football landscape. I'm Steven Serta of Arrowhead. Pride NFL University is brought to you by DraftKings. DraftKings Sportsbook is an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app today and use code SBNNFL for a special offer when you sign up. That's code SBNNFL only at the DraftKings Sportsbook. The NFL is on Odell Beckham watch as he's officially a free agent. And according to Diana Russini, has his list narrowed down to the Chiefs, Packers and Saints. So we'll get into that on today's show and whatever the hell that was in week nine as we try to understand the Tennessee Titans and some of the major upsets across the NFL. We've also got a conversation uh, about some of these young superstar quarterbacks and which one we would like to choose as our franchise passer moving forward so let's get to it kyle posey of niners nation as well as justice mosqueda of acme packing co joining me as always i know justice is probably really excited about odell beckham possibly going to the packers i'm certainly intrigued about odell possibly landing in kansas city and kp uh you seem thrilled about him possibly heading to the new orleans saints so which of these three teams and supposedly there's even more teams that could be in on odell beckham but which of these three teams, as reported, are, are we most interested in? How does he fit? How can we, what can we expect from Odell Beckham Jr. if he enters one of these offenses? So I think with OBJ, th- he'd be the number one receiver on the Saints. And if that's what he really wants, he would go to the Saints. Obviously, they have a slightly different quarterback than the other two teams that we're talking about. So if he wants to have success, not just numbers, it would make sense to play for, you know, play with Patrick Mahomes or. Aaron Rodgers, he's an LSU guy, so that has to – I wonder how much, you know, going back home, quote-unquote, would factor into playing with the Saints because, I mean, what we saw um, Stephon Gilmore do the same thing with the Panthers. But, like, if I'm Odell, I know I want to go to a place that has a bunch of space. To me, that's the Packers and the Chiefs. Like, why wouldn't you do that? You can live inside. You can live in the slot, not have to worry about being double-teamed on the outside you would be having to be defended by linebackers and safeties the entire time. So it should be a no-brainer to go to one of those teams. Also, they are good, and they're going to continue to be good. The Saints, even with Odell Beckham, are probably going to continue to trend in the wrong way, in the wrong direction, just because of their quarterback situation. The Chiefs and the Packers make the most sense. Which one would he pick between those two? I don't know. The Chiefs just seem like the most flashiest team, no matter what they do on the field. So that's where I would lean if I were him. Justice, what is your argument for playing with Aaron Rodgers? Well, I guess the big question, right, is really OBJ. Like, what do you want out of this? Like, what do you want out of the season and not only this season, but moving forward, right? Right. Um, The way that that 
the waiver situation was structured was very odd. Um, it's pretty unique. Uh, Florio wrote today about how NFL teams are now becoming more interested in specifically how Cleveland got that deal done. And Cleveland has since like signed two extensions with offensive linemen since they, since they waived him. Right. Um, so it's, it's, there's cap mechanics that are happening here. That's interesting. The fact that he wasn't picked up is also interesting because, you know, we've had the Patriots and the Seahawks also rumored um, to be in the mix. The only team that can basically go above the offset of that deal is the Seattle Seahawks in terms of like what Cleveland is going to pay, the fact that they passed up on waivers, et cetera. The only team that can make up the difference between not wanting to claim him on waivers, but also pay him above the minimum so that he gets more money in his pocket than what the Cleveland Browns are just going to be able to pay him uh, for the remainder of this season is the Seahawks. So if he wants to get money, the Seahawks is the answer, right? In Green Bay, it's going to be interesting because to your point, New Orleans and, you know, Sean Payton, we've seen it before. If he has a number one threat, he's going to feed that guy. You know what I mean? In Green Bay, the way it's set up right now, it's the Devontae Adams show, and they have big bodies on the field who can block on the perimeter for him um, on a lot of those screens and stuff. So that's not to say Odell wouldn't have a place in the offense or anything like that. The Packers went out in 10 personnel in their first uh, third down rep this past week. Um, they had basically not played 10 personnel, which is when you have four wide receivers on the field at all this season, and that was kind of their answer to – we don't have a third down tight end and there's no one to replace Robert Tunyon who just had an ACL tear. So now we do have to play four wide receivers. So the fact that he would be able to get in on, you know, passing situations where they desperately need kind of another threat to, to kind of stretch the field would definitely help them. It, it, I think to this point, it really does come down to like, what does OBJ want from this? Cause if he does go to green Bay, right. They don't have the money to extend him. I mean, they have an ongoing contract dispute with Devontae Adams right now. No one knows what the situation for Aaron Rodgers, you know, moving forward there. So is it just this year? Do you just want to chase a ring? If you want to do that, the answer is probably Green Bay. Do you want to become that number one guy? The answer is probably New Orleans. Do you want more money? The answer is probably Seattle, right? So there, there's a lot of things up in the air, I would think. Yeah, I it doesn't feel like he's concerned about money because if he was concerned about money, like why rework that deal with Cleveland? Like, obviously he really wanted out of Cleveland, but if money was the only thing that he was worried about, I don't think he would have done them a favor, like done them a solid to try to just get out of Cleveland because we knew it was always kind of coming to this, at least based but, on, but money's also a respect thing too, right? Like yeah. you got to remember, like a lot of times, like these guys, when they're in hardcore contract disputes, it's not because they're like, damn it. I need the $20 million per year. Right. It's, it's, I need to be ranked among these other guys. And to a certain extent showing the want to with the money also shows like the want to, to not just have you this year. Cause Certainly he's going to sign, you know, wherever he signs, he's going to sign a one-year contract, but not that just, we, we have the want to, to sign you this year, but that this is a spot for you kind of moving forward. I mean, if you're Odell, the, the plan probably isn't, Hey, go to green Bay, try to contend. And then next year I'm taking as much money as I can with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Right. I don't think that's how he's kind of wired right now. So I, I do think that money probably plays more of a part in terms of like, showing him that you want him there long-term rather than just, you know, bank account in 2021. Wouldn't yeah. a sneaky destination be the Patriots if he wants to be a number one receiver too? 
Yeah. Well, they're rumored there too. They, just, right. I saw someone say six teams. It included these three teams, and then uh, the Patriots and Seahawks. You know, now Josh it's a Daniels hunt for get you the what ball is team too. six. But yeah, for sure. And they need speed. I mean, that's the one thing that the Patriots are missing right now. You look at them, and you know, defensively they're solid. Offensively, those guys up front can pound the rock, and they have guys even like. Ramondre Stevenson, who can just like, dude, if you need three yards, he can get you three yards on, on third and three, just running up the middle. They just simply don't have team speed at either, you know, running back or wide receiver right now. And I'm sure Odell would help a little bit. The, the big question I would think is, you know, the Packers Seahawks game is coming up this week. I had someone ask me, like, which team is Odell going to play for? I'm like, dude, I don't think he can be ready, you know, in right. this short amount of time. Like, it's already Wednesday. Like, it, it's not a pass rusher. You could see pass rushers where, you know, we just talked about Von Miller like last week, right? We've seen guys like Whitney Merciless, guys like uh, Khalil Mack be able to get in like pressure packages the week that they show up to a new destination. Well, they line up in the C gap and rush the passer. It, 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 you know, playbook wise, you're not really changing what you're doing at wide receiver. All that terminology, when you look at like what a play call is, that's where wide receivers line up and what wide receivers are doing for the most part. Like maybe one or two of those words are for offensive linemen. Everything else is all the skill guys. So I think the learning curve is a little bit longer. Yeah. I, I do think the Patriots could wind up being an interesting destination for him, but like, for him as a player, and you know, I, I'm firmly in the camp that Odell still has plenty of juice in him and can still be a major contributor depending on where he lands. Like the Patriots just aren't that exciting to me. I think they're they're better than we all thought they were, and part of that is just coaching, Belichick, great staff system to you know set up to win, and the defense you know is always going to be reliable. Playing the and Jets then twice doesn't hurt. Yeah. And, and, but like, I, I just don't, I, I don't think that they're as intriguing as like the Packers or the Chiefs for a guy like Odell, because you could step into those offenses and you're not going to get fed as much. And, but if you are playing for another contract, like, is, is that what you're more interested in? Because if you're playing for a long term contract, the Patriots are probably a better destination than Kansas City or Green Bay because of the other mouths that they have to feed there. Or do you want to go win a ring? Because if you want to win a ring, then I think Green Bay and Kansas City are both better places than New England right now, even though the Chiefs are kind of down this year. But like you still think that Odell Beckham could kind of take them over the top maybe and actually they'll be able to score points again and look like a competent offense unlike they have in the past couple of weeks. The Why other thing, too, is it's interesting. You know, we talked about this a little bit off air. The Browns need to sign Baker Mayfield to an extension, right? And they just cleared a little bit of cap space. The first two moves that they did extend <laughs> offensive linemen. So now they're going to be able to go back to Baker. And when Baker says, hey, I want this, you know, Mahomes deal or Dak deal or wh whatever it is, they're going to say, sorry, bud. I'm, uh, my hands are tied. We already spent that money. Right. So, I mean, there might have been, a, you know, so, some of the things were like Odell's like, hey, I'm open on a crosser. OK, anyone can get open on a crosser. K KP and I can get open on a crosser off of play action. We're not going to be very fast. Uh, we're, we probably will drop the ball, but we can get open on it. Um, Baker not being that guy probably had a hint of truth. Uh, it was just kind of the narrator that uh, people didn't necessarily want to hear from. Yeah, that's a great point. So speaking of the narrator, why have we not talked about Baltimore? 
Like why I know that they're not a team that's been brought up by, you know, the people who are mentioning the specific teams that OBJ could be interested in. But we talk all season about getting Lamar another target. Now they finally have Rashad Bateman back and healthy. So they have Bateman. They have Hollywood Brown. And now it could be OBJ could be that extra target, that added target. And now Lamar has somebody to throw to across the middle. Um, He has a I don't want to call him a deep threat, but just somebody who knows how to get open. And I think that's what Baltimore needs. It would not surprise me if Baltimore is a sneaky team that pops up in these OBJ discussions. I, I, I do like that spot. Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe they, maybe they're just feeling strong about Sammy Watkins <laughs> and, and really taking that passing game to another level. Cause Rashad Bateman's been solid so far uh, since he got on the field and Hollywood Brown's having a really nice season, but the Ravens would be super intriguing there the way that Lamar Jackson is playing this season. And you know, the chiefs, I don't know if Odell would fix the Chiefs' offensive problems, but he certainly can't hurt. Like, in it's total Chiefs fashion over the last couple of years to just whatever. Any big-name guy, any former first-round pick that's available at a low cost, let's go see if he's interested in coming and playing for Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and trying to chase a title. So I think the Chiefs are firmly going to be in the mix. Andy Reid spoke to the media earlier today and didn't say anything. So, And Patrick Mahomes said, he has not tried to recruit Odell or anything. So we'll see how this happens. It's interesting. And I I still think that Odell can be a a big time contributor wherever he lands. So we'll obviously keep you up to date on that story as it unfolds. Uh, Odell expected probably to sign here in the near future. So we're excited to see how that goes. Uh, It was reported yesterday initially by ESPN's Adam Schefter and then kind of followed up upon by the Star Tribune with different details that uh, Minnesota Vikings star running back Dalvin Cook allegedly abused a former girlfriend causing a concussion during an altercation at his home last year. The Minneapolis Star Tribune reported that a lawsuit was filed on Tuesday that and they also reported that the woman filed a lawsuit in Dakota County District Court accusing Cook of assault battery and false imprisonment. Now, The problem with the way this story was initially reported by ESPN's Adam Schefter is that he framed it in a more positive light, I guess, for Dalvin Cook in saying that this woman who has filed a lawsuit against the star running back for the Minnesota Vikings was trying to extort him for money. And it seemed like he was just getting out ahead of something like a, a Dalvin Cook's agent who has leaked several stories to Adam Schefter before clearly kind of fed him this headline and he put it out before all the details of the case were out there. And the reason that's a major issue is because Adam Schefter and his massive social audience, television audience, internet audience, whatever you want to call it, they already got this and picked that up and ran with the narrative that this woman was somehow extorting Dalvin Cook without knowing the details in her side of the story, which is probably what should have been reported on initially. Like, there's a lot of ethical things that are in play here, and it's really kind of scummy what, what Adam Schefter did. I, 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 that's the best way I can put it. Like, it, it's really kind of a a scummy thing that he decided to do without even doing any research himself before putting it out into the world, knowing he's got such a massive audience. Yeah, I think, I mean, they knew what they were doing. They had to know what they were doing. And with Schefter doing that, he did a great job of mudding the waters, controlling the narrative and 
because of that, people instantly and people with blue check marks, people who um, people who on the Internet will go log on, take whoever they're reading these tweets word and not, you know, not even research, which I mean, we can talk about the whole research part of this, but uh, they're going to take their word without a grain of salt and they're going to take it as fact. And that's a problem. And they know that like that's a dangerous thing to do, especially in this type of case. So the fact that, you know, he was willing to forego whatever type of research necessary and, and just put this out because of somebody told him that just because somebody told him to do is a dangerous game that the NFL has been playing, continues to play. And it doesn't seem like that's going to change anytime soon. Um, some like something has to happen. Like, there has to be some type of word and not just from Schefter, maybe from the NFL. Um just a, I don't want to call it backpedaling because there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, we goofed, we effed up in that scenario. So that's what I want to see happen. Of course, we still don't have all the details. So we're like, we're not going to dig too deep into this. But the issue is trying to get out in front of the narrative, trying to control the narrative. And for, as I mentioned, just muddy the waters and say, hey, it was actually this when in reality, it wasn't anything like what this supposedly was. Yeah, I mean, this is a pretty clear example of a PR attempt, right? I mean, the agent tries to get in front of a story when he knows photos that are pretty incriminating of uh, Delvin Cook's, you know, actions and morals. You know, despite whatever she might have done, this might have been a situation where both narrators are not necessarily uh, in a great light. Right. But it seemed like an attempt for it. And that becomes a problem when you're ignoring, uh, you know, documents that the Minneapolis Star Tribune was able to find almost instantly in both. ESPN and NFL Network ended up running uh, the reporting of the Minneapolis Star Tribune. You guys, ESPN is a larger, richer uh, journalism entity than than local papers right now. Like they have the people that can actually be able to do this. The fact that they didn't tap into that is kind of a problem. And I think we are seeing more and more like a lot of this access stuff. I mean, people were talking about it when uh, some of these Washington emails leaked, right? During the whole Gruden thing, you know, Schefter was tied into uh, Bruce Allen, right? I mean, that's how these leaks sort. Whenever you see source or like league sort, like someone wants that pushed out of there. So it's very interesting. You're you're starting to see actually more clarity in uh, NBA reporting than like the NFL where the NFL is still using, you know, source, league source a lot more often than the NBA. Because the agents in the NBA want their name attached to the contracts that players are receiving. Like if you look at uh, Woj or Sham's uh, tweets when guys get deals, like they'll tag the agent right in the tweet of like, hey, this guy just signed a massive contract. Here's who who did the deal. Um, And the NFL is becoming a little less clear in those type of situations. And I can just tell you from like as someone who worked in the XFL and like I guess I made – agents some money and you know i know some agents and stuff like that like we didn't make a ton of people money or a ton, we we made a ton of people money we didn't make them a ton of money i guess i should say in the xfl sometimes you get told stuff by an agent and they say hey you can't run with it right now because you know i owe someone a favor and you know x has to break the news and like that whole exchange for like access is it's real and we're seeing it live and like some t- maybe the ticker shouldn't be everything, I guess, is what this boils down to, right? I mean, everyone is obsessed with the ticker. Everyone wants to get onto it. Um, I'm sure that report not only got onto, you know, ESPN's ticker, but also NFL Networks and Foxes and, 
you know, CBS Sportsnet or wh- wherever you end up watching sports, it ended up on it. And seems like, you know, morally we're starting to uh, get into a situation where agents can kind of control a lot of these narratives. And like, these are people's lives, man. Like there are other things that are kind of more important than uh, getting in front of this story. Uh, you said starting to, which <laughs> I, I guess I'm being a little, yeah. So tiptoeing a little bit. What think about what the E stands for in ESPN, and think about how you know we run with these facts, these facts that are presented to us. Um, think about how people get their information, especially today. And like you're going to have notifications on for Adam Schefter. You're going to have notifications on for whatever beat writer it may be. So uh, plenty of people, whether it's from. Espionation, Bleach Report, wherever, they probably got a message, a notification on their phone that this happened. And if that's the first thing that they saw, that's how that's ingrained in their brain. And they, they think, and I, I know this because people were texting me about it, that this is how the whole situation went down. That can't happen, man. That should not be the first thing that goes down. And that is a problem. Yeah. There's there's a reason that there's ethics in journalism and the way you approach it because yeah, the way you report something can heavily impact an individual's life and you can control the narrative, especially in the modern day internet age. Like I was telling you guys when I saw that Schefter notification yesterday and everybody who works in media has notifications on for Adam Schefter, Ian Rappaport. Whoa, I've checked because- my phone 20 times because I need to know when OBJ signs. Yeah, and, and, and you know that's where it's going to come from. And, you know, we are a reactionary industry where when breaking news happens for the team that we happen to cover, we got to be on the ball and we got to be ready to go because people want that uh, those emergency podcasts, those breaking news articles where your chief or your favorite team is signing Odell Beckham Jr. or whatever. But the problem with all of that is that it's created this whole kind of sub insider industry like Schefter like Rappaport and there's other guys who are doing it where the ethics kind of go out the window and it's more about the relationships that you cultivate with those sources. And that's a big problem because the ethics were there for a reason. And the, the channels and stuff that you're supposed to follow before you report a story like this, those were all there for a reason. And those guys kind of operate outside of that because they say, well, we're not really journalists. We're just newsbreakers. And it's I think we should all take because their job is the getting on the ticker. It all it yeah. all like weirdly comes back to that stuff. And like, I, I guess like the overarching theme for like what people can do to kind of like dissuade this stuff as like consumers. Right. Is if it feels like someone is trying to get in front of something, treat it as such. Right. Like when the Dalvin Cook stuff came out. I was like, this seems weird. Probably not going to engage with this. It seems like they're trying to get in front of something. And within the hour, we saw the photos, right? And it it might be a situation where, you know, neither narrator is perfectly in the clear. I think we saw that kind of uh, going back to, I guess this is an example of, you know, college football, but with an NFL player now, like Joe Mixon, right? Where there was an incident. It started with someone saying a racial slur, but it ended with a man hitting a woman which is something that most people are not comfortable with, right? Just wait for the stuff to get out. Like, you're not supposed to have a take on everything. Like, what am I supposed to have thoughts of if he was held by gunpoint and then an incident happened that led to her having a concussion and her face ended up looking like that? Like, that's just an awful situation. But 
what you can do is not engage with the priming of them trying to spin the story in a certain light up on the front. Yeah, you you don't always have to be the first person to bring a take to the table. Like, I I try to do this with a lot of things where I I sit back and I think about like you know possible scenarios or layers to the story before I really formulate an opinion about it. And it's not because I'm worried about like saying the wrong thing. It's because these things have layers. Like, there's a lot of there's a lot of layers that go into stories like this and impact that it has on the individuals at hand. And I don't want to be the first person to jump to conclusions because of a tweet that I see. I I would rather look into the facts a little bit. So I think that's all we can do. And and everybody should do that a little bit more instead of just trying to be the first person to react to the story. But it was a crazy week nine NFL season. So We've got a ton to talk about, and I want to start with the Buffalo Bills and maybe the biggest upset of the NFL season. Our Urban Meyer-led Jacksonville Jaguars took down the Bills 9-6, to just an awful, awful score, horrendous football game. Josh Allen on Josh Allen was insane. I had no idea that the Josh Allen on Josh Allen battle was something we all needed in our lives, but we did. And I think my biggest takeaway from this game is that I'm a little worried about the Buffalo Bills. I still think they're one of the best teams in the AFC, but I got some question marks because Josh Allen is starting to struggle a little bit and he's really kind of slowed this season in general. He's not quite the same like MVP caliber player that he was last season. He's still very good, but some of those numbers have regressed a little bit. So I'm curious how you guys feel about this game. Is Josh Allen, is there something to worry about there? Or was this just one of those games that you chalk up to like, hey, it's the NFL. Anybody can beat you at any given time if you don't show up on Sunday. want to let everybody listening know that I bet the Jaguars 15 plus 15 and a half. (laughs) So um, thank you, Urban Meyer, for doing one thing right. The first thing that you've ever done right in the NFL. I met. So when we're talking about Josh Allen, how much of this is just who he is and how much of this was just an outlier season that he had? Like he was bound to regress. So we talk about him getting better, him getting better. Um, It feels like based on what we've seen this season, based on what we've seen the previous few seasons that yes, like he's, he played well in 2019, but it wasn't anywhere near the level that he played last year. Like he was lights out last year and and he, he hasn't played poorly this year. But he just doesn't seem as sure of himself, I guess, is the best way to put it. And that's hurting him. And uh, I don't know that his style of play, um, I guess I don't want to frame, frame this. I just, I don't know that what he did last year was the same. Well, I guess is the best way to put it. So I don't know. I think that this is kind of who he is. And this is who the Bills are going to have. Like, this is what they're going to live with. And there are going to be days like this. There are going to be games like this. And uh, this isn't going to be the only time that we see this version of Josh Allen. So, with that in mind, like the Bills are just incredibly talented. They have a lot of good players. They put up a stinker. They had a letdown game on a ro- on the road against a team that they probably thought that they could roll the ball out there and just roll over them. That didn't happen. Teams are going to show up in the NFL, and they didn't have an answer. So I think it's a little bit of everything where uh, part of Josh Allen is he was always going to regress after last year, but at the same time, uh, they just really put up a stinker. 
if anyone tells you, so KP told you he bet on the point spread, right? But the point spread is different than the money line. This is one of the biggest upsets in, in recent NFL history. Yes. Um, no one expected the Jacks to just straight up win in this. But to your point, you know, with the Josh Allen, there there is volatility in his game. I mean, I grew up watching Brett Favre. Like, mm-hmm. there's some damn it, Brett in uh, Josh Allen's game that's just going to show up. You know, you could look at – I think most people would be surprised if they look at, like, Brett Favre's, like, uh, season-long stats, like, year by year. Like, he had some not great seasons, and then he would just be good again. Like, sometimes that guy kind of just strings it together. Um, not to say that, like, Josh Allen is tanked or anything like that. Like, he's – I'm looking at uh, – on DraftKings, he's one of the two highest uh, players for MVP odds right now. So, you know, it seems like a lot of people are still sold on him, but – there is some volatility to his game. Um, the Josh Allen stuff was kind of funny. Did you see Jags Josh Allen's Instagram post and what he said? Oh, no. He had a, a photo of them together of him him sacking Josh Allen. Yeah. He said, put some respect on my name. Yes. <laughs> I love it. I love the messy NFL. That's beautiful. Yeah, I mean, just look, and this isn't a stat that you, know, you want to take and run with, but just knowing that it is a valuable stat. So Josh Allen's quarterback rating as a rookie. 49.8 the next season 49.4 last year 81.7 which hello that should be a red flag and then this year it's down back down to 57.4 so maybe this is kind of is who he is yeah and, and football we always preach sample size and part of that is because it's really hard to be really really good at football especially as a quarterback for an NFL franchise and inevitably players usually kind of fall back to the mean or their average. And I think that's what we're seeing with Josh Allen a little bit this season. Like I, I I wasn't a total believer in his accuracy and everything that went way up through the roof last season. And I think we're just seeing it kind of come back down to earth, but he's still a special player. He can still make spectacular throws. And that was just the NFL. It was just a weird football game where uh, I hope we get more, Buffalo Bills, Josh Allen on Josh Allen narratives moving forward, because that was absolutely fantastic. And I feel like I haven't thought about Josh Allen, the pass rusher, since he came into the NFL. So it's nice he to plays see for the Jags. <laughs> yeah, there's, 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 Jags. A reason, there's a reason for that. Yeah. So it was nice to see him pop it up all over the timeline on Sunday. The uh, Dallas Cowboys also fell to the Denver Broncos. Um, you know, the Broncos had a nice game plan. They play good defense. Teddy did a good job and and everything and and whatever. But, you know, Dak Prescott coming back from the calf injury, you expect them it or at least I did. You know, I'm thinking the Cowboys are one of the best teams in football. Like this should be an easy win for them as long as Dak is healthy. And he just struggled the entire game. Just did not look right. Had a lot of inaccurate passes. For whatever reason, they left him in late in the game for garbage time touchdowns. I don't know if it was to make him feel better about what a terrible game it was. But again, I think this was another weird circumstance where I'm a little bit worried about Dak Prescott's health and not necessarily worried about the Cowboys as a whole moving forward because I think this was just kind of another one of those outlier games where Dak might just not be healthy and there's a little bit more going on there than we understand at this exact moment. I feel like that's the part of this game that we should just focus on is Dak and his future, because if he is going to be what 50, 60, 70% for the rest of the year, 
that is a big blemish on what the Cowboys and who the Cowboys can be as a team. Um, when he plays at a high level, they are, I guess, when he plays at a DAC level is the best way to put it. They are unreal. They are unstoppable. They have so many weapons. But if he can't move, if he can't get enough on his throws, that sets everything back. And their defense is still their defense. Um, they still have, I, I don't know, they have a lot of questions outside of DAC in general. So, you know, when knowing that he's their general, if he can't play, I don't know, man. I I don't want to say that this was predictable because it wasn't. I didn't expect the Broncos to win by any means at all, but this was always going to be a competitive game. This line should never have been 10 and a half just based on these two teams. The Broncos are a very talented team as well. They just haven't played up to that level. Um, but yeah, I mean, Dak's injury, that is going to be half. That is something that we will have to monitor every week. And whether it's the practice reports, because he's going to have to be able to go and he's going to have to be able to carry this team if they, I mean, they're probably still going to make the playoffs, but if they want to just make any type of noise. Yeah, and Dak's on his third injury already this season. Like, that's a big deal. When we were talking about contenders last week and I was saying, you know, hey, the the Bills, I'm not totally sold on anyone in the AFC, and I, I think the Raiders might be the best team in the AFC, and then they end up losing to the New York Giants out of all teams. The, the Cowboys were – my fourth team in the NFC too, right? Like I was talking about the Bucks, the Packers when when Rodgers is in there. Um, I was talking about the Rams who lost because of basically two pick sixes. I know one was tackled well short um, of the goal line, but it basically just a punch and attempt. But Dallas just not being able to have Dak healthy, like that's something that we need to monitor throughout the year. And I think to a certain extent, some of these quarterbacks just aren't built to kind of like stand up for the whole league, you know, for the whole season, uh, at least look at, look at like Kyler, right? I mean, Kyler, we're seeing it every year. He starts out gunning out the gate and then he gets banged up. Like he just missed last week. Arizona obviously won with Colt McCoy, but you guys remember last season we were talking around this time. We're talking Kyler Murray MVP odds around this time, you know, early November. And then it ends up falling downhill. Like taking a beating at quarterback is like what these, these teams are making you do. And, the way the league is structured right now with everyone going too high, forcing you to run, like you have to make big boy throws pretty consistently. You can't just throw crossers, overs, like throw over the middle of the field like you can when everyone was kind of mimicking that uh, Seattle Seahawks, you know, cover three type of stuff. Like when teams are playing in two high shells, like you're going to have to make some like huge throws down the sideline, up the middle, in between the safeties. And if you hold the ball for a little bit longer than – you're used to, you're going to take some hits. I know some of these DAC things have happened, you know, in non-contact situations, but if you're banged up, you're going to have to perform in those contact situations with those out-of-contact injuries, if that makes any sense. And the uh, last game that wreaked havoc on survivor pools across the country was the Las Vegas Raiders against the New York Giants. Uh, Giants obviously pull up the upset over the Raiders, I don't really have much for this one other than I think the Giants defense is playing a little bit better than I realized. And they gave the Raiders some problems. And I also kind of feel like we see this every year from the Raiders now. <laughs> so it's just kind of that expected midseason downturn for Las Vegas that I'm used to. I didn't watch the game. I saw that the Raiders were up in the third quarter and just never went back to it. I was just flipping through games. 
I never went back to it. And then I turned back and the Giants are up. I'm like, what What the hell? Well, like, how did this even happen? So it was a pick um, six. I had money on that game. So I was ooh. watching it. It was, it, was, it was pretty tough. I'm keeping DraftKings alive the last couple weeks, uh, <laughs> the, way, the way I've been betting. But I, I do think that, like, a point of note one, the Raiders were coming off of a bye in this game, right? Yikes. Two, the comments that Dar- Darren Waller had after the game were really far apart from what Derek Carr said. So Derek Carr was like, you know, no distractions. There's no distractions at all. And then Darren Waller was basically like, you know, Henry Ruggs was my friend and John Gruden was the guy who took a shot on me to come back to the league and, you know, do my profession that I'm now doing, you know, for a living. Like that's, I don't know. I don't know how much that plays into the locker room. Obviously the Raiders have gone through a lot of things. They just released, you know, their first round pick Arnett, um, the cornerback. They're, they're going through a lot of stuff right now. And I don't know how Something much that week. I don't know how much that reflects onto the field. I don't know how much of that we can put on the game. I guess that's something that we'll kind of make a judgment on as the season goes along more than this singular game. But that was a weird result. I didn't expect it. You know, I front end, I had money on the opposite result of this happening. <laughs> um, that pick six, I do think, kind of swung the game. But, yeah, just brutal result for that team. Yeah, they have – Las Vegas has had a uh, rough month. I would imagine that's weighing heavily on the players for their team. Uh, They did just release both of their 2020 first round picks in consecutive weeks. Uh, So they're they're going through a lot. It is worth mentioning that they uh, signed wide receiver Deshaun Jackson, try to add some speed back that they lost in releasing wide receiver Henry Ruggs. So we'll see how the Raiders go on Sunday night football against the Kansas City Chiefs this week. I know we're all excited for that one, but let's take a quick time out. When we get back, we've got a conversation about three superstar caliber quarterbacks that we'd like to start our franchise with today. It's coming up next on NFL University. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge... That takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a... 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. 
have some exciting news for you, class. Your time starts now. NFL. Crash course? This doesn't happen very often. You're going to enjoy this one. Welcome back in to NFL University. I'm Steven Serta of Arrowhead Pride, joined as always by Kyle Posey of Niners Nation, as well as Justice Mosqueda of Acme Packing Co. And we've talked quite a bit about Josh Allen already. And, you know, we mentioned Lamar Jackson and the Odell Beckham Jr. sweepstakes. But I posed this question to you guys, and I kind of wanted to get your opinion on it, on would you rather have Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, or Justin Herbert as your franchise quarterback today? And I think at the start of the 2021 NFL regular season, there's a lot of people who knew for sure who that quarterback would be in this conversation. And it's kind of changed for me as the season's gone on to where it's Lamar Jackson for me now. And, you know, he's playing an MVP caliber level again, I think, he should be in you know the top two of the MVP race right now. I think the Baltimore Ravens would be a bad football team if Lamar Jackson wasn't absolutely carrying them every week. And it's just the fact that he's, I feel like even though he's won an MVP, he's been so underrated as a quarterback. And it, you know, it's because of his style and that narrative that people want to push and that he can't win big games, even though he's got a playoff win under his belt now. Like he is just playing at an absurd level and he's passing now in a way that is making people eat their words and kind of backtrack on all of the doubts they had about him. And I think he's just an exceptional player who, even if you're worried about his rushing and possible injuries or whatever, we've mentioned it before on this podcast, Lamar doesn't take hits. And that's almost as impressive as anything else that he does because for a guy that can run and rush for over a hundred yards in a football game on a consistent basis, He's always been smart about the way he takes hits and trying to keep himself healthy for the Ravens. And so I don't think that's going to change necessarily. Like that's just his style of play. Like I think what he is doing right now is absolutely sustainable and he's super young and he's just been incredible to watch. Like Lamar Jackson has totally won me over this season for any of the doubts that I might've had. He's the most valuable player in the NFL. I don't think there's any doubt about that. So Think about just this game. The, the Ravens come out. They get a field goal to start the game. And then they are down heading into the final drive of the first half. 17-3, I believe. They have the ball at midfield. And Lamar goes full Carson Wentz. Throws a defensive pass interference. They get the ball near the five-yard line. They score. And then that gives them a little bit of momentum going into the second half. And they're able to come back and beat the Vikings. It seems like they have to come back a lot. And we do not talk about their defense a lot. They are not good. And that is a we, we talked about this a little bit before um, we logged on here. So he could easily press far more than he does, much like the Chiefs quarterback. And he does not. I think he's very controlled. I, I think that is a big part of his game. You talk about not taking square shots. That might be the most impressive part about anybody's game in the NFL, just with how often he runs and how silly he makes people look. Because there are plenty of opportunities during every game where a guy has a square shot on him and it just like they barely touch him, they barely get a hand on him. That is unbelievable. But just his control, um, of course, he's going to put up stats. He's going to have highlight plays. Just, that's who he is. Like if you just look at his box score, thirteen touchdowns, seven interceptions, you're going to look at everyone else and see, hey, this person has better stats. This person has better stats based on what the Ravens are putting on Lamar's plate. 
I think that's what makes him just such a special player, an MVP level player. And I, I would give him the MVP um, because he has had to overcome so much on that team. And we, we forget, like he doesn't have a Tyreek Hill to throw to. He doesn't have a Devontae Adams to throw to. He's throwing to young guys. He's throwing to a receiver who is the same size as me. Um, and he's still able to overcome all of this. So get OBJ so we don't, we stop have to talk about this, man. That's interesting you brought up Devontae Adams because I was going to say, you know, as someone who has to listen into the pressers and stuff like that, Devontae Adams has mentioned multiple times this year, like the game, they ask him, like, who do you model your game after? He says, I watch Lamar, Lamar Jackson highlights. Wow. Like that's, that's who he watches when he's getting all these screen passes and it's, you know, Hey, it's me, uh, Marquez Valdez Scantling and Alan Lazard blocking for me. And it's three on three on the sideline. Who do you model your game after? It's Lamar Jackson. So that, that's, re- he's a dynamic player. Um, I think Greg Rubin's, you know, done a little bit better with him and, I think part of it too is just the wide receivers, you know, how, how different is this offense really? I mean, the fact that they can play Patrick Ricard, who he, he is an NFL offensive lineman, like stop calling him a fullback. Like that dude is 300 pounds. Yeah, <laughs> that, That's not Kyle Juszczyk. Like the fact that they can play that style of football in Baltimore, you can't do it without Lamar. What's, what's the Jay-Z line? I'm not a businessman. I'm a businessman. Like hey. Lamar is the offense. Like that's what the situation is. Um, if you look at the uh, MVP odds, Lamar is up there. I mean, I would have thought a couple weeks ago I put money on uh, Matthew Stafford and Dak just because I thought those guys were operating in the pocket better than anyone else in the league. Um, obviously, Stafford had a bad result. I don't think that's necessarily something that's going to move forward. Like, how many times is he going to do a 360 and throw an interception for a pick six in the end zone? Like, I don't right. think that's going to happen every week. Dak being hurt again um it is something that would worry me just looking at the top eight guys um in terms of the mvp race rogers said as much that he thinks you know his his words are probably gonna hurt him plus the fact that he you know already just won an mvp the nfl voters really don't like like back-to-back mvp type of situations herbert i think is being hurt by his team they can't stop the run at all like that that is consistent. That is something we're going to be talking about throughout the league. It's probably throughout the season. It's probably going to be what ends up knocking him out of the playoffs, frankly. And Joe Lombardi, I don't think is helping him a lot. Um, as far as like, you know, pack watch for uh, offensive coordinators, like Joe Lombardi is going to be the guy everyone's going to be talking about this offseason, whether they're like, hey, this this guy has a great quarterback. He doesn't know what he's doing. We got to get him the hell out of there. Um, looking at it, it's really, it looks like the, uh, MVP race is going to come down to like Brady, Allen, Stafford, maybe. I mean, the the fact that that was in a primetime game kind of hurts him. And then Lamar Jackson, in my opinion. So we're talking about a guy who's probably top four in the MVP race, in, in my opinion, not necessarily by the books, but in my opinion. So one thing we didn't touch on is Lamar has 600 yards rushing. Lamar is six in the NFL in rushing right now. Think He's about that, man. Dude, every week it's just like the, the Ravens put out that like little press release and they're like, here are the records Lamar has broken. And it's like eight of them every week. Yeah. Like yeah. he does things that we're not used to on an NFL field. I know a lot of people wanted to compare him to like uh, Vic coming out, but the past, what, four seasons that we've not seen Lamar, th- this window of Lamar is is surpasses whatever, you know, a four-year window that, that Vic had, you know? And he's a better passer than Michael Fick. Like he's just he's just exceptional. Like we're gonna have an entire generation of kids 
their favorite player is going to be Lamar Jackson. I mean, you're hearing it from NFL wide receivers right now. I just brought right. up Devontae Adams. Your favorite player's favorite player is going to be Lamar Jackson in like 10 years. Like you cannot understate how important he is to the league, I think. Yeah, like we already talked about Josh Allen's struggles, and I think that Josh Allen is an exceptional quarterback, as I already said. And Justin Herbert's still going to take a, a huge step forward at some point, I think, and he looks like he is that dude right now. But Lamar Jackson is just special, and it's hard not to root for him, as Justice mentioned. NFL players are rooting for Lamar Jackson because that's the dude that they watch, and they're like, all right, we don't understand how he operates and how he does that stuff. And we need to appreciate what Lamar Jackson is doing because he is just a special, special football player. Uh, I want to get into this Tennessee Titans game from Sunday night against the Los Angeles Rams. Obviously, the Titans did not have Derrick Henry likely done for the rest of the year. Uh, There's small chance he could come back late, late in the season for the Titans, but they should operate as if they're not going to happen for the rest of the season. Going into this, I thought, okay, all these teams got upset in week nine. This Rams team establishing themselves as the best team in football on Sunday night football And the Titans kind of did to the Rams what they did to the Chiefs. Like they just dominated them up front with their pass rush and just gave Matthew Stafford problems all night long and made that Rams offensive line look bad. I think that I still have question marks about the Tennessee Titans. They're the number one team in the AFC right now. I don't know if that's where they're going to end because I still wonder whether or not they can operate offensively the way they did in that game, which was like a 50-50 split between pass and run, which is just kind of where they were, except they were running even more with Derrick Henry. Now they've got this kind of committee approach. I think they're inevitably going to find themselves in a situation where they have to throw the ball and they have to put up points that way. And I'm still kind of curious as to whether or not they can do that effectively and efficiently the way some of these other offenses can because Derrick Henry obviously is a guy you can't replace, but man, that pass rush is not something I was expecting and they have been absolutely nasty. So I'm just curious if you guys are kind of like me or are you buying into the Tennessee Titans? I didn't know that this was their record heading into the game. I didn't know that they had played this well, or I guess they had won this many games um, heading into the Rams game. So what happened Sunday night is just they control the line of scrimmage. When you just can dominate the line of scrimmage on defense like that, the offense doesn't have a chance. We saw a few few times where uh, Jeff Simmons just walks the center back, just walks the guard back. Stafford has to move around. He When he did that, he just made some terrible decisions when he, when he had to move off his spot. But I thought, I mean, to talk about the Rams too quick, That's what happens when you don't invest in your offensive line, when you think that you can roll out there with day three picks uh, just because you have valuable skill players and a good head coach or a good play caller. Uh, No, you need dudes up front, man, and not not guys who are 300 pounds trying to go up against guys the same size who are just freaks of nature as athletes. Harold Landry, good. Jeff Simmons, good. Beast. Yeah. um, But – they're not a good run defense, and they have never been a good run defense. They are, I believe, 29th in success rate stopping the run. The Rams just didn't run the ball. So uh, the game script probably had a lot to do with that. Um, I I don't know how sustainable – and, again, we're talking about the Titans like they're just a middling team. They're not. They're well above 500. I still don't know how they'll be able to keep this up uh, as the season goes along. 
I'm sure their schedule will help and will allow them to continue to win games. But like, would you feel comfortable betting on the Titans against a team like the Browns? No. no. Right. Like Chubb would run for like 900 yards. But it doesn't matter because they got through their health stretch. This was supposed to be their health stretch. It, it gets oh. easier down the line for them. They get it. They still play in the AFC South. True. Like that's that that's True. part of the thing that like helps them. Um, I do think to your point that game script definitely helped. I mean, the fact that Stafford basically spotted him two pick sixes again. I know one got stopped at like the one yard line or whatever, but that's automatic points. You know, the the Chiefs were able to do that when they weren't uh, getting anything going offensively against the Green Bay Packers last week too. If you look at 538 right now, their percentage, so like their projections uh, for season long, there's a 61% chance the Tennessee Titans get a first round bye. League-wide in the NFC or AFC, there's only a team above 19% other than the Titans, which is the Cardinals. Where Teams are going to have to play on the road in Tennessee. And to their credit, I mean, they got – it might not look looked pretty, Right. They got through their hell stretch. They got through the injuries at wide receiver. They got so far through the injuries of, you know, Derrick Henry at running back. Their secondary looked awful the first month of the year, and it's looked a whole lot better since then. So you got to give them some credit. Um, do I think that they're going to, you know, win it all or anything like that? No. Um, despite them having such high odds to get that first round by, they're still only third in Super Bowl odds per 538s projections um just a weird situation but i think you know with their schedule they're probably going to be able to roll into the playoffs with either a one or two seed and teams are going to have to play on the road against them and who knows man if they can get derrick henry back and you're playing on the road and it's you know an outdoor situation instead of playing in a dome and now it's cold because it's january and you have to get derrick henry on the ground and the crowd is loud as hell and Goodness gracious, that's a little bit more of a daunting task than we would have thought, you know, mid-September or late September. That bye week would be huge if they can get Derrick Henry back and they have to rush him back. Man. So since they lost to the Jets, this is a Titans team that (laughs) lost to the Jets earlier this season. They've beaten the Jags, Bills, Chiefs, Colts, and Rams. Their health stretch. This is their health stretch. And they got through it. That's a hell of a run. Like you might not see a more impressive five game win streak. Well, four game win streak. You can leave the Jags off, I guess. The the throughout the entirety of the NFL season. Like it's it's been ridiculous. And so maybe I should buy into them a little bit more, but I'm still kind of wait and see on the Titans. I still just don't quite trust them. We can't get out of here though without getting KP's thoughts on the Niners getting absolutely railroaded by the Colt McCoy-led Arizona Cardinals. Is this just a Kyle Shanahan problem? Is it a Niners problem? Like, what what's happening with San Francisco right now? I mean, they talked about it a little bit after the game. Kyle Yuschek, who joined us on Niners Nation, said they pretty much woke up thinking that they'd be able to win because Kyler wasn't there. And... That's not how the NFL works. The other team gets paid, even without their stars. It's a divisional game, so the familiarity has to factor in as well. Um, I thought Cliff was excellent, man. I thought he did a really nice job of what I God, I hate saying that out loud. Um, <laughs> he did a really good job of like he had D'Amico Ryan's chasing his tail all day, whether it was screens, whether it was misdirection. They had a nice double pass. They got Christian Kirk isolated against their rookie safety, Talanova Funga, who cannot run. 
So he did a good job of getting his guys, his fast guys in space against the 49ers slow guys. But the 49ers had plenty of chances. Their first drive, they're marching the field. George Kittle fumbles. They had another drive. Uh, Brandon Ayuk, he has two hands on the ball. He still fumbles. Um, the Cardinals are up 14 going in, and they fumble the ball. After Bosa strips, Fred Warner is surrounded by nobody else. He pounces on the ball. The ball squirts away, and the Cardinals get it. Instead of you know taking points off the board, you give Arizona a chance. They missed 15 tackles, 11 different players missed tackles. That is very tough to do <laughs> at any level in the NFL. But on the defensive side of the ball, I mentioned that they're they're slower because there are backups playing. They relied on veterans. Josh Norman, um, <laughs> hopefully he's never steps on the field again because he put himself above the team. I thought he was talking trash to Cliff Kingsbury down 14 to nothing to Colt McCoy which is just an incredible mindset to have. I think there are a lot of problems. I don't think Shanahan understands math or the game flow at all. And that's been evident during the past couple of years. And now it's just becoming more and more of a truth. I guess you could say they kicked an extra point down 18, which hello. And not just in the, at the beginning of the game, this was in the third quarter when you're down, I mentioned 18. So you have a chance to make it a two possession game. He said after the game that they thought they had enough time to come back with three possessions in the fourth quarter, essentially, which tells me you have no idea what the hell you're doing. Um, They let 36 seconds run off the clock in the end of the third quarter when they're going hurry up. They're just leaving so many plays and points on the field. And there are no answers like there are no answers to their issues. And it's always we just have to execute better. We have to play better. Yeah, no shit. But this, you're not There's doing something it. in the water in the NFC West. Uh, you know, we just touched the Rams Titans game. If you watch, I'm a Packers fan. I'm recording a Packers po- post game podcast while I'm watching Sunday Night Football. The Rams kept kicking field goals when they needed touchdowns right there. And I'm like, yo, what is going on? I know McVay's one of the most uh, conservative head coaches in terms of like going forward on fourth down, but it really does seem like. Some of these head coaches, you know, just decision wise in, in those situations, like I'm, I'm not sure if it's the game is passing them by or they don't realize what type of situation they're in because they're so locked into like play caller mode that they don't realize like game manager That's situations. Like- but like there, there's a couple teams in the league that you can bet on them making just like two bonehead decisions that probably cost their team like what, four to seven points a game. Yeah, they lose out on a lot of possessions and a lot of points per game because of this. So, again, they were down in the fourth quarter. They were in Rams territory. Rams, They were in Cardinals territory, I believe, inside of the 40. And they punted the ball on fourth down, down multiple possessions. That can't happen in, in today's game, man. It shouldn't have happened in 1980. It sure as hell can't happen in 2021. But, again, like these are the same issues that continue to happen over and over and over again. And the Niners can't even use the excuse of, yeah, well, we're just we're holding on to it because, you know, we want to use this for like the playoffs or down the street. <laughs> You're going three and five, man. Right. Every game is a playoff game from now on out. Like you can't lose anymore. Like you're you're two losses away from being essentially uh, disqualified from the playoffs. Right. I mean, that's the scenario the Niners are in. So every win matters from here on out. You can't have those type of brain farts. Rams 49ers Monday Night Football. Get ready for some punts and field goals. baby. <laughs> Yeah, you can't 
like when you kick extra points down that much, kick field goals or whatever, like you're just not interested in winning. Like you're just like, oh, I just want to save a little bit of face here. Is what it feels like to me. Like you, you got you got to go for two there. You gotta you gotta have somebody in house who's telling you like analytically, mathematically, this is the best probability thing you can do right now for you to win. And yeah, it just seems like Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay. Mike McCarthy, like coaches like that. Like none of those guys have that dude who's trying to explain these things to them. With Speaking him of McCarthy, uh, one last thing. You guys see what Jerry Jones said about McCarthy? No. <laughs> about the Fangio stuff? He was like, look, I told him. I told him what we were going to get. I told him we were going to struggle with it. I don't know what his problem is. So, hey, man, McCarthy, McCarthy might not be long for this life. Hey, <laughs> the University of Washington job is, is popping up. Kellen Moore is from the Northwest. Uh, we'll, we'll see if that kind of puts a pep in uh, Jerry Jones's step to try, try to uh, move him up from, you know, offensive coordinator to head coach. He turned down the Boise State job last year. But what what does McCarthy do here? Right. What does Sindar. McCarthy do here? I got to do one more quick thing before we get out of here. We got to talk about Justin Fields. He almost pulled off the upset over the Pittsburgh Steelers had a fantastic fourth quarter. That game was really trash until the fourth quarter, to be totally honest. But then the bears came alive. Justin Fields started making big, big time throws down the football field, looked every bit, the guy that we think he can be at the NFL level. And this was coming off of his previous breakout game where he rushed for over a hundred yards and finally was able to utilize his legs in the NFL. So back-to-back strong performances from Justin Fields. And I just, I just had to slide it in because I'm just excited. I'm just thrilled to finally see him making plays. He hit Allen Robinson for a 39-yard gain. I'm pretty sure that was the longest pass play of Allen Robinson's season. It's fantastic. It, it was just – I'm even though they lost the game, I was just thrilled to see Justin Fields put on a show in that fourth quarter. He makes throws that you cannot fake. That do not happen by accident. Continue feeding that guy and things are going to go well. That That's always been my thought is that, okay, maybe he's not a polished quarterback yet. Maybe he can't operate quick game like you need to at the NFL level yet. But he is showing flashes to the point where you can't move him back onto the bench. And the fact that Andy Dalton was taking reps from him for so long, including in the summer, is now, I mean, what was the point, right? Now that we're looking at it, okay, you spent all those summer reps on Andy Dalton for nothing, for it not to matter, to put your quarterback behind the eight ball moving into the season, that that was a mistake. It was a mistake. NFL coaches are dumb. <laughs> he made like three or four video game throws all in the fourth quarter. I didn't watch – the only I turned the game on in the fourth quarter, so I didn't see the interceptions. So that's not in my mind. I don't know what happened before the fourth quarter. I don't care what happened before the fourth quarter. I saw him play in the fourth quarter. And I saw a player that looks like a superstar. I saw a player that looks like he is starting to figure it out. Looks like he's getting better, which who knew the more rookie quarterbacks play, the more that they're going to learn what they can and can't get away with. He lets it fly, man. And I absolutely love that about him. He is going to push the ball down the field. You mentioned quick game. If he's not operating that, then don't do it. Sure. Just throw a slant here and there, throw some now screens or whatever, but let him throw the ball down the seam. Let him throw the ball down the outside the numbers, man. That's his game. Use his arm. His arm is unbelievable, and he has confidence that he can make those throws, which not, not all quarterbacks in the NFL have. So I think if they just play to his strength, lean into him a little bit, let him run, let the guy who runs a 4-3 run, um, 
they, they have a chance and they have a chance to just move the ball on offense as we saw. So scrap that those conservative play calling and let Justin Fields be Justin Fields, man. Also, the Cassius Marsh uh, penalty. That was the the worst penalty I've ever seen in my life. And if there's ever been an example of, like, this is what point shaving would look like at the NFL level, that's what it would look like. That was awful. I can't believe that that happened, like, actually happened, was caught on video in an NFL game, and then they had a statement, and he was like, yeah, that that was the right call. Like, get out of here. Get the referee out of here. People were talking about – um, I had people in my mentions saying we got to bring the replacement refs back. These are the replacement refs because yeah. the good refs go on television. Like the, the NFL has a referee problem. They need to keep the good refs in house and they're just simply not doing it right now. They're on Fox telling us if it's a penalty or not. Oh, no, they released that video of an NFL official or whatever explaining why it was a penalty as if that <laughs> makes it better. Like, we Get out of these- here. No one, No one wants to hear that crap. Get out of here. Did you guys see? I don't remember if it was in the fourth quarter, but Ben tried to. They had like a designed run on a third and two. It was the slowest attempt at a a two yard run that I have ever seen in my life. I felt embarrassed for Ben. I was like, "Oh no, what are you guys doing? What 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 are we doing to him, Pittsburgh?" Like he had to have felt embarrassed about that run. I think he took like seven steps to get. Pat to the line of scrimmage. It took him so long to cross the line of scrimmage. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah, he do, he's got no business. I, I don't care if it's fourth and inches. Ben's got no business being a ball carrier at this point in his career. It was just, I just felt so bad for him trying to convert that two-yard game. I did not. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. This has been another edition of NFL University. We do have to ask that you please subscribe, rate, and review our show but really everything that we're doing on the sb nation nfl show you can follow justice on twitter at j-u-m-o-s-q you can also follow kp at kp underscore show i'm steven serta that's where you can find me we'll talk to you guys next week